Alex Scarborough with ESPN, for, for the players, I know you talked about keeping the joy of the game, but I'm curious, it's a long season, right? And you guys have had the target on your back the entire time, the win streak being number one. How do you handle the unique pressure that comes with that? How do you keep the joy for so long when anxiety seems like a thing that can very easily set in? Well, the only way that you can have a joy that doesn't fade away is from the Lord. And any other type of joy is actually happiness that comes from circumstances and outcomes. And um, I think Coach has said this before, but joy from the Lord is really the only thing that can keep you motivated, um, uh, just in a good mindset, uh, no matter the outcomes. Thankfully, we've had a lot of success this year, but if it was the other way around, uh, joy from the Lord is the only thing that can keep you embracing those memories, moments, friendships, and all of that. So uh, I would, that's really the only the only answer to that because there's no other way that softball can bring you that um, because of how much failure comes in it and just how much of a roller coaster the game can be. One thousand percent agree with Grace Lyons. Um, I've went through that my freshman year. I. I was so happy to win the college, I've talked about this before, but I was just so happy that we won the College World Series, but I didn't feel joy. I didn't have, I didn't know what to do the next day. I didn't know what to do for that following week. I didn't feel filled, and I had to find Christ in that, and I think that is what makes our team so strong is that we're not afraid to lose because if it's not the end of the world if we do lose. Yes, obviously, we've worked our butts off to be here, and we want to win, but it's not the end of the world because our life is in Christ and that's all that matters. Yeah, um, I think a huge thing that we've really just latched onto is eyes up. And you guys see us doing this and pointing up, but we're really like fixing our eyes on Christ. And that's something where, like they were saying, you can't find a fulfillment in an outcome, whether it's good or bad. And um, I think that's why we're so steady in what we do and, and our love for each other and our love for the game because we know this game is giving us the opportunity to glorify God. Mm -hmm. And um, I just think once we figured that out and that was our purpose and everyone was all in with that, um, it's really changed so much for us. And I mean, I know myself, I, I've seen so much of a growth in myself with um, once I turned to Jesus and I realized how he had changed my outlook on life, not just softball, but understanding how much I have to live for, and that's living to exemplify the kingdom. And I think that brings so much freedom. And I'm sure everyone's story is similar, but we all have those great testimonies that have really like, shown how awesome it is to play for something bigger. Um, and I think that's just what brings me so much joy. And no matter the outcome, whether we get a trophy in the end or not, we're, this isn't our home, and I think that's what's amazing about it is we have so much more. We have an eternity of joy with our Father, and I'm so excited about that. And yes, I live in the moment, but I know this isn't my home, and um, no matter what, my sisters in Christ will be there with me in the end um, when we're with our, our King. So, Quite a confession. These girls play softball, but they said they live to exemplify God's kingdom. They work really hard to win a championship, and they won multiple. And yet they said that the outcome, whether they won the championship or not, is not what determined their joy. In fact, two of them expressly mentioned that once they came to know Jesus, it changed their life. They quit living for just the moment, and now they live for eternal joy. 
They live to serve God as king. Will you? Will you live to serve God as your king? Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is our king. The word of God I'd like to study with you today is that chapter we heard from Second Chronicles. It's a little long, so it's printed out in the worship folder so you can follow along. We find out that the nation of Israel was wrestling with the same question. Whom would they serve as king? Solomon had died. Before he died, he appointed his son Rehoboam to be the next king, but the people weren't so sure that they wanted to serve Rehoboam. In fact, it's noted for us that the people did not go to Jerusalem, the capital city. They didn't go to the palace to crown Rehoboam as the next king. Instead, they made Rehoboam come to them. And when he arrived, they had a question for him. They said, Rehoboam, your father made life difficult for us. He, he put a heavy burden on us. Solomon had forced them into labor to complete all of his building projects. So they wanted to know, Rehoboam, are you going to make us work that hard? Or will you lighten the load for us? They negotiated. If you lighten the load, then we will serve you as our king. But if not... Maybe not. Rehoboam asked for three days to consider the question. First, he did something that was rather wise. He went to the elders who had advised his father, Solomon, and he asked them, what do you think I should do? And they said, if you'll just answer the people kindly, if you'll just lighten the load, you don't have to take away all of the work, but just lighten the load. These people will serve you as king all of their lives. Rehoboam didn't like that answer. So he turned to his buddies. He asked his friends who were now serving him as advisors, what do you guys think? They gave Rehoboam an answer that I think puffed him up. It made him feel good. It fed his ego. They said, you tell these people what it's really like. Your little finger is thicker than your father's waist. If they thought he put a heavy load on them, you're going to make it heavier. He kept them in line with whips. You will scourge them with scorpions. And that answer made Rehoboam feel powerful. He wanted to prove to the people that he could be even greater than King Solomon. And so when the people returned, he gave them the answer. He said, you thought my father made life hard? I will make it even more difficult. I will whip you with scorpions. I will prove to you that I am the king. But it didn't work. The people said, uh, no thanks. They actually said, well, what do we have to do with David? Rehoboam and Solomon were in the line of David. They said, to your own tents, O Israel. In other words, we're going to take care of ourselves. Rehoboam, you're on your own. And they left and they went home. Now we hear about this man named Jeroboam. You have to go back to 1 Kings to learn that all of this was from the Lord. During Solomon's reign, God had sent a prophet named Ahijah the Shilonite to this Jeroboam and and, and he did an odd thing. He had a brand new robe. He tore it into 12 pieces and he told Jeroboam to take 10 of them and then prophesied that he would rule over 10 tribes of Israel. He thought that might be right then. And so he rebelled against Solomon. That didn't work. 
he ran away to Egypt. But now that Solomon was dead, he came back. The northern tribes of Israel would eventually make Jeroboam their new king. But first, Rehoboam, he tried to maintain control of the kingdom. So he sent the leader of forced labor to go after the people. They just killed him. Rehoboam realized he was in danger. He escaped back to the palace in Jerusalem. He mustered the army. He was about to begin a civil war when again the Lord stepped in, sending another prophet and telling Rehoboam and his army to go home because this was all from the Lord. It was actually punishment because Solomon and the people that he led had refused to worship God as king and instead begun to worship idols. And so now for the first time in history, we have a divided kingdom of Israel. But it's not just a political issue. The people, when they rejected Rehoboam as king, they also rejected God. In fact, the very last verse of our chapter said that Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David until this day. It was God who chose the house of David to rule over the people. And what's worse, they weren't just rejecting the king, but when they rejected God's king, they also rejected God as king. And they too, especially the northern tribes, would begin to worship idols. What about you? Will you serve God as king? You realize that whether we serve him or not, God is the king. God doesn't become king because someone chose him to be the next in the royal secession like King Charles. God isn't the king because the people elected him or agreed to serve him. And, and God isn't a king by power or force. No, God is king simply because he is God. He is the almighty, all-powerful one who created the world and all of us who are in it. And as God and king, God expects us to acknowledge him as king. He expects us to come before him and offer him worship and glory and praise. He expects us to take some of the gifts that he has given us and, and give them back to him in honor and thanks and praise. And, and to use the rest of them to his glory by serving others. God expects that we will follow his decrees and laws or commandments. But he does not force you to do so. He expects, he desires, he invites, but he does not force. God wants you to serve him as king willingly, voluntarily. And yet how often aren't we like the people of Israel? We're not sure. Have you ever negotiated with God? Have you ever said, God, if you give me more money, give me this job promotion, restore health, uh, restore relationship, God, if you'll do this, 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 and this, then I will worship you as king. Have you ever thought that God's expectations are too heavy of a burden? Come on, God. 
And do you really expect me to worship you every single week, all year long? I mean, it's summer. There's camping and vacations and family trips. I mean, you understand, God, I can't be there all the time. And God, can you get Pastor Berger off my back? Because he's constantly hounding us to come to Bible study and read our Bibles. But God, you understand there's stuff to do. There's work and there's school and there's all these activities. I mean, 10 minutes a day for you, is that expecting maybe a little too much? And about those offerings, God. I want to give generous offerings, but you understand I have got a mortgage, three cars, a boat, cable, cell phones, and those vacations that we're planning. There's not always enough left for you. And my talents and abilities, God, I, I, I want to use them, but I, I really want to use them to build up my own ego. I mean, I want to feel good about myself. And those commandments, God, aren't they a little outdated? and old-fashioned, and don't you already know that we can't keep them anyway? It's easy to think that way, isn't it? To feel like God's expectations are just this burden that weighs down on us, and, and, and we don't like that feeling, and, and so maybe we look for a way to escape, and, and this time more like Rehoboam, maybe we go seeking advice somewhere else. You know, if God is not going to make your life easier, maybe you need to find another way. That might mean that you pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, you work hard, and, and you do what you need to to create the life that you want. Maybe that means working really hard to make a lot of money and buy a lot of stuff, because if you think that if you have these certain objects, then you'll find fulfillment. Maybe it's like those girls who I'm sure from the time they were three learned how to throw a ball and swing a bat and finally it paid off. They won the College World Series, I think three years in a row. And, and if you could just find that pinnacle moment then, then you would have joy, right? Except that's not what the girl said. Did you hear the second girl she said, I thought that I found it. We won. But I didn't know what to do the next day or the week after. So why do we do that? Why do we chase after joy in earthly things that can never give them, not our jobs, not money, not sports, not leisure, not even our spouses or our children, can fill us with the joy that your king wants to give you. And so rather than leading a rebellion and walking away from God because we don't think that he's going to make our lives easier, God invites us to serve him and, and find out. Rehoboam didn't react very well when the people rebelled. First, he tried to force them into labor. Then he thought he was going to just bring his army to bring them to their knees. And, and I suppose God could do that. God could send an angel from heaven to simply force us to bow down and serve him all of our lives or threaten to put us in hell. God could bring an army of angels and say, you either worship God or we wipe you off the face of the earth. But that's not what God did, is it? God didn't send an angel. And he didn't send an army. 
He sent his son. God the Father. How fitting that on Father's Day, he did what only a perfect father could do. He loved his children unconditionally. Regardless of how many times we thumbed our nose at God as Father or how many times we simply ignored Him and walked away, regardless of how, how many times we failed to simply say, God, I love you as my Father, regardless of how we have acted, God the Father, out of nothing but pure love, sent His Son to give us the only thing that can bring us real joy. And that's a relationship with him. And so at the request of his father, Jesus took off his crown. He took off his royal robe. He, he stood up and walked away from the throne. He walked away from the angels who worship him day and night, and he put on human flesh. He was born as a human child in a stable to two poor parents. And he lived his entire life not to be served, but to serve. Did you ever notice that? Jesus didn't walk around looking like a king, did he? He didn't walk around looking like the Son of God. He didn't walk up to people and stand up tall and wait for them to bow down and kiss his ring and kiss his feet. No, instead, what did Jesus do? He went around preaching and teaching the kingdom of God encouraging people to repent of their rebellion and instead to come into God's kingdom where they could find real joy. When he did use his power and gifts and abilities, it was always in service to others, to feed the hungry, to heal the sick, to raise the dead. And when it was all time to end, he committed the most selfless act he could and he laid down his life. In fact, he let soldiers mock him as a king. They crowned him with thorns. They put a purple robe on him. They, they handed him a staff, and then they beat him with it before they nailed him to a cross. That man hanging on the cross, that's your king. Before he ever asks that you would serve him, he served you. By giving his life as a ransom to redeem you from this empty way of life that's been handed down to us. And after he rose from the dead and just before he ascended into heaven and returned to his glorious kingdom, he sent his disciples out to do for you what he himself had done to call you to repentance and to invite you to come into his kingdom. In fact, Jesus doesn't just invite you to become a citizen of his kingdom. He's made you a child of the heavenly father. And even now, when Jesus sits on his throne in all glory once again, he, he's not just waiting for you to come and bow down to him. He, he continues to serve you. He has given you your life. Your fathers and mothers and other family members who love you. He, he's given you the ability to go to work. He's given you food and drink and clothing and home. All you have and all you are. He gives it to you knowing that you might not use it to serve him, but asking that you will. So will you serve God as king? 
the nation of Israel rebelled and when they rejected Rehoboam, they, they also really rejected God. But God has not rejected you. In spite of your rebellion, he sent his son to forgive all of your sins. He's brought you into his kingdom and into his family. He continues to love and serve you also that you might have the opportunity to serve him and to find out that when you serve God as king, then your heart will be filled with eternal joy. Amen.